Now, today is actually Grandparents' Day. Um, now, I, I know someone said to me uh, last night, well, it's probably a, a Hallmark holiday. They made it just to sell cards, and maybe that's true, but you know there are more parents alive, grandparents alive on planet Earth today than at any other time in world history. And grandparents have an important role in the lives of their grandchildren. Some of you maybe get to speak into their lives for Christ. Some of you probably struggle with how to do that well if, if your children aren't interested in that when it comes to their kids. But I want to just pause and just recognize all the grandparents in the room. If you're a grandpa or a grandma, would you please stand? Let's just recognize all the grandpas and grandmas in the room. Thank you. Remain, remain standing for a moment. Remain, remain standing for just a moment. I just want to say thank you, and I want to remind you of something. In my own life, when life was challenging as a kid, it was our grandparents that would kind of come in and bring stability and speak kind of peace and love and, and uh, just, uh, just some solidity for our lives. And so I know that the role you have in the lives of your grandchildren are very important. So thank you uh, for the legacy that you're pouring into your grandkids. You may be seated. I also want to mention that tomorrow is a day of remembrance for our nation, what happened 22 years ago, uh, 9-11, and I want to pause and pray for those who were directly impacted, for our nation as we were all impacted, and also just to pause for our leaders and for our nation. So would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the grandparents that stood. Thank you for those who are joining us online. Uh, maybe they're even away visiting their grandchildren today. We ask that you would bless the grandmas and grandpas. Father, I know that not all the relationships are what a grandparent may want, and I pray you'd open doors where doors seem to have been closed. I pray there'd be opportunities for grandparents to be that voice of stability and love and faith in the life of grandchildren. And Lord, we just ask your blessing on them. We pray for our nation, even as we remember tomorrow, May we never forget uh, the lives that were lost. May we, Lord, be reminded of uh, folks in our armed services who are serving in our country and around the world to protect us. We pray for them today, keep them safe. We pray for our president. We pray for the Congress. We pray for the Supreme Court. We pray for our governor and legislatures, legislators here in California, uh, right down to local leaders. We ask that you give them wisdom as they lead. Give them wisdom as uh, you have ordained government to care for and protect uh, a nation, and we pray your blessing on them. Give them wisdom. We thank you for this day in which we can worship and praise you. Be glorified in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have my microphone on. I'm ready to go. And uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 28. We're going to be focusing on 1 Chronicles chapters 28 and 29. I'll be reading as I read from the New Living Translation. You can follow along in your hard copy of the Bible or in a mobile device that has a Bible app, as I have here on my iPad. Uh, we're going to be talking today about the life of David. We've watched this journey. We come now to David being around 70 years of age. He knows his time is coming to an end, and he is uh, appointing, anointing the one God has to replace him, his son Solomon, his son that he has with Bathsheba, and he is, is anointing him, appointing him, crowning him in front of the whole assembly of Israel. They've gathered for a great worship celebration, and he is trying to make sure that Solomon knows and the nation knows that they are set up for success He's leaving a legacy, and his words that are recorded in Scripture help us understand 
the legacy he desired to leave and the legacy he indeed left. We're going to be looking at the final words of King David, who lived 3,000 years ago and reigned over the greatest era in the nation of Israel's history. Over the years, I've kind of collected the final words of some famous people. The musician Bob Marley, his final words were, money can't buy life. The former prime minister of England during World War II, Winston Churchill, said, I'm bored with it all. Those were his final last words. John Adams' final words, 50 years to the day that the Declaration of Independence was signed, his final words before he passed in a moment, a mere moments were, Thomas Jefferson still survives. What Adams didn't know, he knew they were the only two living signers of the Declaration of Independence at that point, 50 years later, but what he didn't know is that Thomas Jefferson had died merely a couple hours before he did on that 50th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Harriet Tubman kind of said and sang those words, swing low, sweet chariot. Edgar Allan Poe used these as his final words, Lord, help my poor soul. Groucho Marx, the comedian of the 20th century, talking to his daughter said, die, my dear? Why, that's the last thing I'll do. <laughs> Another comedian from the 20th century, W.C. Fields, who had quite an interesting delivery of words and kind of the cadence of his words. He was on his deathbed and the family had left the room. When they came back in, they found him with a Bible. He wasn't a religious man. They didn't know he had a Bible, but he had a Bible open. He was frantically looking through the pages and his family was concerned. The final words that they say that W.C. Field said to them was a response to the question, what are you doing with that Bible? And he said, I'm looking for loopholes. Now, I don't know if you've really stopped to think about your own life. How would you sum up your life? Maybe you've been challenged before by the idea that all of us at one point and somewhere or another will have our lives identified, whether on a grave marker or in some other way, with the date of our birth, a dash, and the date of our death. And that that dash in between those two dates represents our lives. What will that dash in your life represent? Here we are looking into the life of David again. And here the great king who had conquered Goliath, who'd been on the run for Saul, from Saul for some time, had been appointed to be the next king because Saul has, had turned his back on God. Here is that great king now giving his final words in 1 Chronicles 28 and 29. Now the dash of his life is being summarized in what he shares with the nation and with his son, his successor, Solomon. David is around 70 years old. He's gathered the nation for this great worship service, this culmination. He's turning over the kingdom to his son, Solomon. We want to talk today about leaving a lasting legacy. Leaving a lasting legacy. What does that dash of your life represent? We'll be looking at 1 Chronicles 28 and 29. These are pretty much just... The speech, these verses are the speech that David gives in front of the nation and as he speaks even to Solomon directly. In 2 Samuel 23, 1 through 7, we have another kind of set of final words from David, but it's set almost in a psalm format. And then in 1 Kings 2, 1 to 12, we believe these perhaps are the very final words of David. They mirror a lot of what's in 1 Samuel 28 and 29, but these are private words spoken from David to Solomon one-on-one. -on -one in 1 Kings 2. 
He even addresses things like, you better get rid of Joab, because just before David announces Solomon will be a successor, Adonijah, another one of his sons, is propped up and declares himself king, but he's propped up by Joab. So David shares some practical things with Solomon in 1 Kings 2. He has a big emphasis for Solomon and the whole nation in his final words about building the temple. You remember, he wanted to build a temple for God. He'd established the great city of Jerusalem, conquered the Jebusite city. He had expanded the borders of Israel to be the largest they'd ever been in Israel's history. He brought peace with the neighbors. There was economic success. But the one thing he was not allowed to do by the Lord was to build a temple for Jehovah God in that city of Jerusalem. But God gave him the plans for the temple. God allowed him to buy the land for the temple. God allowed him to gather all the materials for the temple, but he would never see the temple of God where the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of the express presence of God, would dwell in that temple. So David, in his words, kind of summarizes the dash and what he wants to pour into the next generation. Let me just ask you again, what's the dash of your life represent? Proverbs 10.7 says the legacy of the righteous is a blessing. The Apostle Paul, in his final words, as given to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.7, are these, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. When you get to the end of your life, I trust you'll be able to say those words. As we think about leaving a lasting legacy like David does here in his final words, I want us to understand that a lasting legacy may leave little or no impact on the world, but it will leave a deep and transformative impact on people's lives. You could be known for great advances in science and medicine and the humanities and the arts. There are some people who attend Calvary who, because of how successful they are in a particular industry, or maybe even in the entertainment industry, whether it's in front of the camera or behind the camera, there are people in the congregation who have their own Wikipedia page. There's nothing wrong with that, and if you've had those kind of accomplishments that have gained you a Wikipedia page, great. But more important than that is what you're doing in terms of the legacy you're leaving in the lives of others. The legacy you're leaving for Christ in the lives of others. See, leaving a legacy is not about a grand gesture to your family when you're dead. It's all about the great life you live right now for the Lord. Do others see you seeking to live in love like Jesus, walk with him and becoming like him daily? Some people will say to me, well, it's too late. I mean, I've got so much brokenness and sin in my past and I've got some failures, I've got some bankruptcies, I've got a divorce, I've got, and they'll list the things of their past and think there's no way I can leave a legacy. Well, it may take decades to create a lasting legacy. It also can happen as your life is observed by those who see how you deal with those things and how you found forgiveness and healing in the Lord from the things of your past. The decades-long trajectory of your life matters far more than the momentary successes and failures you amass over your lifetime. A heart aimed at the heart of God leaves a lasting legacy in the lives of others by pointing others to God. As David gives this speech to the nation before he steps into eternity, he's 70 years old. 
And he's a man who has some great failures, the attack against Bathsheba, the, the murder of Uriah. There are some great failures in his life. There are great successes, like taking the Jebusite city, like bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into the center of God's people. He's had a lot of ups and downs, failures and successes. But remember, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, from the perspective of the Lord himself, summarize the life of David as he was a man after God's own heart. His heart was aimed at God's heart. And in the midst of the ups and downs, that's what you see, a heart aimed at the heart of God. And that's what we need, hearts that are aimed at the very heart of God. We started this series with a handout we gave you the first week, several months back. Talked about the series, but on the back there was this post-it note we gave you in the shape of a heart. And I asked you to put it like on the in the middle of the mirror where you brush your teeth or maybe on the dashboard of your car next to your computer. And when you see that heart, be reminded of David's example of aiming your heart at the heart of God. And uh, while I was talking last night, I heard someone whisper, oh, that's what that's there for. (laughs) Turns out they had that on their mirror and forgot all about why there was a sticker there that was shaped like a heart. Well, today as we look at these, these final words of David, I trust that you'll be reminded of the importance of leaving a lasting legacy that lasts beyond your lifetime into your children, your grandchildren, nieces and nephews, neighbors and friends, those in your small group, your Bible study, those you serve with, that your life has an impact that will last beyond your lifetime. So how does that happen? Well, I want us to look at some of the words of David. And I want us to look at six things I think David emphasizes in front of the people, even as he talks to Solomon. Number one, to leave a lasting legacy, focus less on who you are and more on who your God is. How much time do you spend in a day getting yourself ready to go? Some of us spend a lot of time in front of the mirror uh, making ourselves attractive. Others of us, like me, we just try to make ourselves presentable. Even takes more time. But how much time do you focus on yourself? How much of what you post is about you on social media? How much do you talk about you? When people look at your life after you're gone, are they gonna say, that was a life that was about God or was it a life about you? David speaking again in front of the whole gathering of the nation of Israel in 1 Chronicles 28 and verse nine, reading from the New Living Translation. And Solomon, my son, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Worship and serve him, notice what he says here, with your whole heart. Worship with your heart abandoned. Your life open wide to him. Serve him with all your heart and a willing mind for the Lord sees every, notice again, heart and knows every plan and thought. God knows your heart. If you seek him, you will find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. He speaks directly to Solomon. Know God intimately, worship him and serve him with all your heart. Then he speaks later in this final speech to the nation. In 1 Chronicles 29, 10 through 12, he speaks to the whole crowd. Then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. 
We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion, people are made great and given strength. In these final words, David doesn't spend a lot of time talking about his great victories and the political alliances he created and how he brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And these these two chapters of 1 Chronicles 28 and 29, he focuses more on the Lord. If you want to leave a lasting legacy for your children, your grandchildren, for the next generation here at Calvary, focus less on who you are and more on who your God is. Now, he is our God. All of us look to God as our God by creation. He made every one of us. The scriptures say that we have sinned against him and we fall short of who he is and so we have a broken relationship with him, but he's still our God by creation. But God saw us and loved us in our broken condition. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus came, was crucified, buried, and was raised so that we could have a relationship with God through the forgiveness that comes in Jesus. We could have new life from God through the finished work of Christ on the cross and his conquering the grave for us. We put our faith in Jesus. We are then his children, not just by creation because he made us, but by redemption because he saved us. And you can't really make your God known until you know him intimately through redemption, that you put your faith in Jesus as your savior to have a relationship with God. Right now, where you sit, if you've never done that, today would be a great day to trust Jesus. Just where you are, just admit to him you're a sinner in need of a savior and that you want him to be your God, not just by creation, because everyone is accountable to him by creation. The scriptures say it's appointed to every one of us to die, and then we're going to stand before God in judgment. But you can stand there knowing you are whole and his child now and forever because of Jesus when you put your faith in him. Put your faith in Christ right where you are. Our care team will be down front after the service if you'd like to chat with them. I'll be in the lobby. We can have someone share with you from God's word how you can know Jesus as your Savior today. If it's more convenient for you, you're online or in the room, you can just simply pull out your phone and get a text message ready as the number. Just type 58568, the number below me on the screen, and the body of the text. Just put the name Jesus, and we'll connect with you and walk with you so that you can know He's not only your God by creation, you're going to give an answer to him one day, but then when you stand before him, you'll be covered in the forgiveness and grace of Jesus because he's your God by redemption. Focus less on who you are and more on who your God is. How many people in your life that you have an influence on know anything about your God? Secondly, Focus less on pouring into everyone and more on pouring into someone. If you want to leave a lasting legacy, it's important for us to have a clear testimony with everyone. But then we need to focus on some people, our children, our grandchildren, people in our sphere of influence, people that God's just opened a door for us to pour into, that we, we focus on them and pouring into them. Jesus spoke to multitudes and crowds. They saw him heal people. They heard his messages. But then he focused on the 12 and pouring into them a legacy that would turn the world upside down. And I think David has that same spirit as he addresses the whole nation and broadly speaks to everyone. We read 
in 1 Chronicles 28 again in verse 8. So now with God as our witness in the sight of all Israel, the Lord's assembly, I give you this charge, David says. Be careful, all of you, to obey all the commands, not just some of the commands of the Lord your God, so that you may continue to possess this good land and leave it to your children as a permanent inheritance. He wants to speak to the whole nation but then he speaks to a particular someone that he's pouring into. And Solomon, my son, he turns to the nation, just looks at Solomon, and maybe he's up there on a platform with me. He looks at Solomon and he says, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Worship and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and thought. If you seek him, you'll find him. But if you forsake him, he'll reject you forever. So take this seriously. The Lord has chosen you to build a temple as a sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. Make sure that you're intentionally pouring into some people that God has brought into your sphere of influence. Could be your children, grandchildren, nieces and nephews. Nephews could be somebody in your small group, a ministry team. Someone has said, legacy is not leaving something for people, it's leaving something in people. Are you leaving anything in people? In his little book, the little instruction book of life, H. Jackson Brown Jr. said, live so that when your children think of fairness, caring, and integrity, they think of you. Make sure you concentrate on pouring in to some key individuals God has put across your path in whatever way you can have an influence in their lives for Jesus. Thirdly, if you want to leave a lasting legacy in the lives of others for Jesus, focus less on doing what you want and more on doing what God says. This is the Christian life, right? If I just do what I want, I'm going to be following the impulses of my lust, greed, and pride. Just, that's who the old man is. That's who the old Sean is. But since I came to Jesus, I've been given new life, those old things are passing away, and behold, all things are becoming new. I have the new man, the new person. And now I can walk in obedience to God. I have the Spirit of God who will help me walk with him. I meet some people who will just they'll ask me to pray for them and say, I'm, just, I'm in sin again, I'm caught up in this, and I, I know what God says, but I'm just doing what I want, and I, just, I can never do what God wants, and they want me to pray for them because they can never do what God wants. And I, Baloney. God has given you the Spirit of God to help you walk in obedience to the Word of God. Just to say you can never do what God wants you to do, that's not what the Christian life is about. Then I meet other people that have me pray for other people, and they'll say, because I don't do these sins, I don't have any issues with lust or pride or greed or any of these things. That's their attitude. They want to pray for somebody else, and they'll tell me how great they are and how Christian they are, and they never disobey God, and baloney. When Satan convinces us either that we never sin or we can never walk in obedience, we miss out on, on where the Spirit of God meets us and molds us and shapes us and makes us like Jesus. It's in the struggle between what I want in my old flesh and what God says in his word. The more our world says we just live the way we want and we disregard what God says, the higher the depression statistics and anxiety statistics and suicide statistics go up when we live out of alignment with the God who made us. The Apostle Paul himself said, the things I don't want to do, I do. The things I do want to do, I don't. 
If you say, boy, I struggle with the Christian life, God bless you. That's where, as we struggle with what we want and what God says, and we take that one step toward what God says, and in that struggle, we take the next step toward what God says. That's where the molding and, and making us more like Christ happens by the Spirit of God so that we can live in love like Jesus in this world. David makes it very clear. Don't follow what you want. Follow what God says. 1 Chronicles 28.8. So now with, the, with God as our witness and in the sight of all Israel, the Lord's assembly, I give you this charge. Be careful to obey all the commands of the Lord your God. Not just some of them, all of them. So that you may continue to possess this good land and leave it to your children as a permanent inheritance. Then privately to Solomon from that private one-on-one -on -one conversation in 1 Kings 2, we read this. I'm going where everyone on earth must go, must someday go. Take courage, Solomon, and be a man. I like that. Take courage and be a man. Man up. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all his ways. Keep the decrees, commands, regulations, and laws written in the law of Moses in God's word so that you will be successful in all you do and wherever you go. He says, Solomon, remember your creator. Walk in obedience to God, not just in some things, in all things. He's trying to impress that upon his son. Now Solomon is going to get caught up in his lust, his greed, and his pride to the point when he's an old man, he's going to sit down and write a book in the Old Testament called the book of Ecclesiastes. And looking back, he's going to say, you know what? I had every worldly possession you could ever want. I was able to experience every worldly pleasure you could ever dream of. I had all the power, the fame, the position anyone could ever get. And how does he summarize all that without God? As vanity of vanities, it's all emptiness, emptiness, it means nothing. And so how does he conclude that book that says, I had it all, I pursued all those things, and they were empty without God? He says, remember the creator in the days of your youth. Why? Because he didn't listen to his father. But David says, focus less on doing what you want, more on what God says. I just challenge you, if you want to leave a legacy to your children, your grandchildren, walk in obedience to God's word. And as you do and you struggle with what you want and what God says, the spirit of God will meet you and shape you and mold you and make you more like Jesus. And that will be a legacy that will impact others in this church, in this community, in our world, in this generation and the next. That will impact your children and grandchildren, nieces and nephews and friends and family. Fourthly, if you want to leave a lasting legacy, focus less on what God can give you and more on what you can give God. I meet a lot of Christians who are all about what God can give me. Bless me, God. Bless me, God. Bless me, God. And I get it. Life can be hard and we want God to bless us. It's okay to ask God to bless us. But sometimes we get so focused on what God can give us, we forget that we are to offer sacrifices to the Lord to give to God. And part of what David's saying to them is, listen, don't just see what God can give you. Make sure that you have a spirit to give to God who he is and what he's doing in this world. First Chronicles 29, 13 to 17, we read, Oh, our God, we thank you and praise you. We praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should give anything to you? Everything we have comes from you, and we give you only what you first gave us. You know, when, when you get that direct deposit or you get that check and you cash it or you get your income or whatever form or way you get it, 
You might think, oh, this is mine because I did this because of my health, because of my work, because of my education. This is mine. David would say, no, it's God's. He was the one who said, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Everything is God's. I've said this before, and some people will come up to me and say, well, you mean your check is God's because your check comes from the church. No, that's not what I mean. <laughs> it's all God's. Everything you have in your savings, your checking, every moment you have, every hour you have, every gift or ability or spiritual gift God has given you, it's all God's. You're God's. I'm God's. It's all God's. And that's what David is saying here. We are here for only a moment, visitors and strangers in the land as our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like a passing shadow, gone soon without a trace. O Lord, our God, even this material we've gathered to build a temple to honor your holy name comes from you. It all belongs to you. I know, my God, that you examine our hearts and rejoice when you find integrity there. I know you look at our hearts. Here's, here's his emphasis on our heart, right? He's got his heart aimed at the heart of God. And you rejoice when you find integrity there, character there. You know I have done all of this with good motives. I have watched your people offer their gifts willingly and joyously. Do you take your time, your talents, your treasure, your abilities, and offer it to God joyfully and willfully and say, here, use me? When there's an opportunity to serve in the church, do you, do you say, boy, I wonder if this is for me? Or do you just say, that must be for somebody else? Someone has said, we need to shift from Lord bless me to Lord use me. That's the emphasis David's saying here. He's saying it's not about what God can give you, it's about what you can give God because it's all God's. You focus more on what God can give you than what you can give God, your children, your grandchildren, your friends, your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ are gonna notice that. We need to leave a different kind of legacy like David suggests here, where it's about what we do and give for God and his glory. Fifth, if you want to leave a lasting legacy for Christ that will last into the next generation, focus less on what you have gotten and more on what you have given. This is a little bit like point four, but there's a different emphasis that David makes here. It's about what you have given, what you're ready to invest in others. You know, he's going to build this temple, and he's, never, he's not going to build this temple. Solomon's going to build the temple, and David's never going to get to see it. But he's done all the work. He's got the land. He's got the plans. He's got the materials. Look at 1 Chronicles 29, 3 through 9. Again, David in front of all the people. And now, because of my devotion to the temple of my God, I am giving all of my own private treasure of gold and silver to help in the construction. I wonder if Solomon just swelled and said, oh, I thought that was all going to be mine. This is in addition to the building materials I've already collected for his holy temple. I'm donating more than 112 tons of gold. Notice it doesn't say pounds, it says tons. From Ophir and 262 tons of refined silver to be used for overlaying the walls of the buildings and for the other gold and silver work to be done by the craftsmen. Now then, who will follow my example and give offerings to the Lord today? They give so much an offering to God to build that the leaders, including David, have to say, stop giving, we've got too much now. Then the family leaders, the leaders of the tribes of Israel, the generals and the captains of the army and the king's administrative officers all gave willingly. That's what the New Testament says. 
We're to give cheerfully to the Lord's work through the local church. For the construction of the temple of God, they gave about 188 tons of gold, 10,000 gold coins, 375 tons of silver, 675 tons of bronze, 3,750 tons of iron. They also contributed numerous precious stones which were deposited in the treasury of the house of the Lord under the care of Jehiel, a descendant of Gershon. Now notice this, as they give these offerings. By the way, I've looked at commentators who try to figure out how much this all would be worth. This is, this is an amount of riches that would surpass any living human being's wealth on planet Earth today. Notice what this next phrase says. The people rejoiced over the offerings, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly to the Lord, and King David was filled with joy. Wow. <laughs> Let me read that phrase again. The people rejoiced over the offerings. How do you respond when you see this come up on the screen in a service here at Calvary? Do you cringe? Do you say, well, that's probably for other people? Do you rejoice? When you see this come up, we talk about offering the Lord our offerings, even by going online or going to the silver boxes, the door where you can put cash and check in there, and you hear me say that, or somebody say that week after week, an opportunity to give. Thank you for those of you who give generously, but are you someone who cringes when this comes up, or you think this shouldn't be a part of church, or this shouldn't be a part of our faith? Jesus talked more about money than he talked about heaven or hell. Why? Because he knows it has a lot to do with how we view ourselves, how we view the world, how we view our God, and it has a lot to do with the legacy we're gonna leave. You say, well, I've set up the trust, I've got everything, that's all wonderful and great for your family, that's good. But do they see that you care and have an investment in your God that you give freely and openly, wholeheartedly to the Lord? So at this time, let me remind you of the offerings You can go to calvarywestlake.org slash give. Are you rejoicing now? You can go to calvarywestlake.org slash give or you can give at the silver boxes. I know I'm joking, but did you read this phrase? <laughs> the people rejoiced over the offerings. Why? Because we recognize it's all from God. So as we get an opportunity to give back to God that which he's placed into our stewardship and care, we should rejoice in the stuff he's given us and we should be generous in investing in what is happening in his name in our world today. Let's give to the Lord out of willing hearts. And David's posture here is about not what he's gotten as much as what he's given. He doesn't say, I've amassed all this. He says, this is what I'm giving. And again, remember, he's not going to see the temple. He's going to be dead. This thing that he so desires to build to honor his God, he's not going to see, but he's willing to invest in the next generation into his son so that the legacy can continue beyond his lifetime. Let's lift up our eyes and make investments that go beyond our lives into the lives of our children and our grandchildren, into the next generation at Calvary, into the next generation in the greater Canal Valley, into the next and next generation in the world until Jesus comes. It's our time, our talents, and our treasures. We need a big view of what we're doing, even if we don't see it in our lifetime. Anybody been to Köln, Germany, to see the Köln Cathedral that's there? Anybody in the room been there? Yeah, I see some hands. I am looking forward someday to visiting this spot. It's the most visited place in Germany. They have six million visitors per year. 
25,000 per day go to the Köln Cathedral in Germany. It is the third largest church in the world. It has, it was for a season of time, the tallest building in the world until the Eiffel Tower and the Washington Monument were built. It has the largest swinging bell in any church in the world. The foundation stone was laid in 1248, this magnificent cathedral. The foundation stone laid in 1248. Stonemasons and others worked on the plans they had for this great, massive church that we see today. And in 1322, they opened a small section of it. It really wasn't yet quite the church, and they started to function in there. But they worked hard so that they would continue to build into the next generations this incredible edifice that would bring honor and glory to God. In 1473, a crane was installed so they could do the work, and then the work stopped. The work stopped for 400 years. The crane was up there for 400 years. In the early 1840s, they discovered in the church the original plans going back to the medieval time, and they discovered the plans, and so they decided, let's continue this project. So the work restarted in 1842. By 1855, the church looked like this. It didn't quite have all those big spires yet, and yet still was one of the tallest buildings in the world. In 1870, they put in the first bells, and in 1880, was the official opening and dedication of the church to serve the community and to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. This church took 632 years to build. Can you imagine the family of masons, stone masons who worked all their lives to build it, handed it over to their kids who worked all their lives to build it and then handed over it, generation after generation worked most of the generations that had seen the plans and dreamed of what could be never saw it come to fruition, but they still invested anyway because they wanted to leave a legacy that would point to their God. Oh, that we would have that spirit about not what we've been given, but what we can give, what we can invest to make a difference. And that was the emphasis that David had. Do you have that kind of long-term view that beyond your lifetime, people's lives can be changed because of how you use what God has given you today? That's David's spirit. His heart is aimed at the heart of God. It's a, it's a heart of generosity that wants to invest beyond his lifetime to things he will never see but will bring glory and honor to his God. Sixth and finally, we've got to focus less on what you've done and more on what others will do. Focus less on what you've done and more on what others will do. I love the musical Hamilton seen it a couple times, and in one of the songs by Lin-Manuel Miranda, there is this line, legacy is planting seeds in a garden you never get to see. That was David's spirit. It wasn't just in what would be accomplished, but in the people who would do it. And so it's not about what he has done, but what others will do. In 1 Chronicles 28.10, as part of this final speech, he says, so take this seriously. The Lord has chosen you to build a temple as his sanctuary. Be strong, Solomon, and do the work. First Chronicles 28, 19, and 20. Every part of this plan, David told Solomon, was given to me in writing from the hand of the Lord. Then David continued, be strong and courageous and do the work. Don't be afraid and discouraged, for the Lord God, my God, is with you, Solomon. He will not fail you or forsake you. He will see to it that all the work related to the temple of the Lord is finished correctly. First Chronicles 29, 18 to 20, still in that same 
communication and speech to the people and to Solomon. Oh Lord, the God of ancestors, our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, make your people answer, or make your people always want to obey you. See to it that their love for you never changes. Give my son Solomon the wholehearted desire to obey all your commands, laws, and decrees, and do everything necessary to build this temple for which I have made these preparations. Bless Solomon. May he be more successful than I am. Something I've prayed for my kids is that they would know, love, and serve Jesus more than I ever did. And then he says, and to do everything necessary to build this temple for which I have made these preparations. Then David said to the whole assembly, give praise to the Lord your God. And the entire assembly praised the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and they bowed low and knelt before the Lord and the king. David concludes by saying, God bless Solomon, may he do greater things than I've done. God bless these people, may they do greater things than the people in my generation did. And that has been the spirit I found when I came to Calvary 15 years ago. One generation saying we want the next generation to do greater things than we've done. And we need to have that spirit in our families and the spheres of influence we have and in our church and in our community. Jesus himself in the upper room the night before he was crucified said to his disciples, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. He wasn't saying you'll do better miracles or you'll give better messages. What he was saying was, look, I have been here, God the Son in human flesh and one body, but the Spirit of God is gonna come upon you and you're gonna spread out and you're gonna be my witnesses as that power of the Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And those disciples were sent out and they turned the world upside down because of the legacy Jesus left in their lives. And then they left a legacy in lives to the point that that legacy reached us with the gospel of Jesus. And now we're to leave a legacy in the lives of those who come behind. We hear these concluding words in 1 Kings 2, 10 through 12 about this great man with such a complex life but whose heart was aimed at the Lord. These are the final words that describe the life of David. Then David died and was buried with his ancestors in the city of David. David reigned over Israel for 40 years, seven of them in Hebron and 33 in Jerusalem. Solomon became king and sat on the throne of David his father and his kingdom was firmly established. His kingdom was firmly established. His father set him up for a legacy that would last. How about you? Focus less on who you are and more on who your God is. Focus less on pouring into everyone and pouring into someone. Focus less on doing what you want more on what God says. Focus less on what you can give, what God can give you, but what you can give God. Focus less on what you've gotten and more on what you have given to impact generations beyond yours. Focus less on what you've done and more on what others will do beyond your lifetime. Are you leaving a lasting legacy in the lives of others? Are you leaving a lasting legacy? What's that dash gonna represent? Can I challenge you this week? Find two or three people. Maybe it's your kids, maybe it's your grandkids, maybe it's a person in your small group. If you don't have a small group again, you can sign up this weekend, but find a Christian brother or sister. Find two or three people and say, what do you think that dash right now, if it was put where my birth date and my death date and that dash, what would my dash represent? 
See what they say. Maybe you need to realign the aim of your heart so that it aims at the heart of God rather than it's about you, what you've done, who you are. I dare you to ask two or three people this week, what will that dash represent in my life if I step into to eternity right now? I double dog dare you <laughs> to ask two or three people but what that dash would re represent in your life and let the Spirit of God cause you to take some fresh steps and developing a legacy that lasts beyond your life. Father, thank you for the life of David, the lessons we've learned. Help us as we seek to grow in you, to become more like Jesus, to learn these valuable lessons of leaving a legacy that David lays out so clearly in his own example. Like David, we're flawed people. We've got complex lives. We've got twists and turns and knots in our backgrounds, but you're a God of grace who wants to use us now and forward. May our hearts be aimed at your heart that others might see Jesus in us and it might last, that legacy might last beyond our lifetime. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.